Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Football Faithful Podcast. In our last bonus pod, we picked the official top five Premier League strike partnerships of the Football Faithful. And on today's show, we're going to head back down the other end of the field and select the top five central defensive duos of the Premier League era. My name's Sam Steen and joining me to do all that are Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. How's it going, lads? Steve McGovern's there as well. Hi, Steve. Hi, guys. How's it going? And Anthony Kelly. Hi, Ant. All right, lads. How are you doing? Good. Now, uh, so I guess the same as last time, guys, we'll just go through our lists in sort of no particular order, see where we are, and then thrash it out and try and find a top five. So, Peter, let's start with you. Who you got? Okay. Well, the only thing is my list is very much in a particular order. So um, we'll start with, I'm going to go, this will seem biased, but I'm going to go with Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister. Um, (laughs) Now, I, I am well aware that if we did a podcast called What? 90s footballers would not make it in the modern day these two would probably be like right up there at the top but I do think you know they won three Premier Leagues together and they were the centre-back partnership when United kind of broke their 26 years without without the league and then United went on and dominated um, English football for the best part of 20 years so I think they had a massive impact you know and then next I'm going to go again an oldie I'm going to go for Adams and Bold and they won a couple of old first divisions the Premier League Cups galore, and uh, they were part of, you know, one of probably the most famous back four, I'd say, in English football his- history with Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, and Saifan Seaman behind them. So, uh, yeah, they were they were top class together. Third, I'm going to go with, and it's, these ones wouldn't really jump out if you had a set to me, pick the top five initially, but you ha- I have to have Saul Campbell and Yaya Toure in there because they were the centre centre back partnership of Colo. the event. Sorry? Colo, sorry. Oh, Colo, sorry. Jesus. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. I don't think yeah, yeah would have been much use. At <laughs> um, sorry. Yeah, Colo, sorry. They, they were, um, you know, obviously the Invincibles, that's enough to get them onto the list, I think, alone. Second, John Terry and Ricardo Cavallo, you know, such, such a crucial part of that really strong Mourinho's first spell at Chelsea and three Premier League titles. Um, together says it all really and then number one I'd, I'd say everybody has the same it's just it has to be Steve Howie and Philippe Albert yeah yeah thank you yeah no it's pretty easy for me Nemanja and Rio for, for reasons I'll probably get into later on yeah I think that's fair enough uh, and what about you who have you got I actually had Dan Bruce and Pallister on mine to be fair I feel exactly the same point you made Pete I think you made copying my notes I just I just think that you know to, to break Man U's title drought in, in 93 the pressure on them must have been immense so they, I think they have to be in there for that you know purely for that reason Teddy and Carvalho yeah um, absolutely fantastic I remember you know Mourinho's team was was so mean at the back so tight at the back um, Teddy and Carvalho just fantastic partnership um, I've gone slightly different on the Arsenal front um, I've gone for Tony Adams and Martin Keown. Um, I just think those two w- were fantastic. They read the game so well. Uh, I was a massive fan of Tony Adams uh, growing up as a kid because I was always a defender. Um, you know, he, he, I just thought he was a great tackler, really read the game well. Keown was a very intelligent, underrated player as well, in my opinion. Um, absolutely spot on. Um, I've gone for me token Liverpool duo as well for your piece. Just This is one's just for you, mate. Um, I've gone for Sammy Ipia and Stefan Onsho um, to go in there. Um, probably a bit of a controversial one leaving Cadigar out, but I just thought Hippier and Onsho formed a bit of a really solid bedrock in a team that went on to win a few trophies for us and it got us out of a bit of a dodgy era that we had in the 90s where we just couldn't defend. Um, so I've gone for them two, fantastic defenders uh, individually and collectively. And um, I've also thrown in uh, Vidic and Ferdinand into the mix. Again, I don't all all sorts of rivalry aside. I actually think that they would probably be on anybody's list uh, when you join together two centre halves. Vidic was fantastic. Ferdinand was great on the ball. I just don't think you can you can leave them off the list. Yeah, it's going to be tough. This uh, Steve, who have you got? Uh, well, I've gone for the surprise inclusion of Vidic and Ferdinand. No. Uh, who saw that one coming? Yeah, uh, I, would you believe it? Uh, I've also gone for uh, Tony Adams and Martin Keown. Um, I've Gone for a Chelsea pairing, but it's not the one I think that people are thinking of. I've gone for William Gallus and John Terry. And uh, two that I've kind of thrown in there that um, might surprise a couple of people is uh, I've gone for Jamie Carragher and Daniel Agger. And then for Tongan and Alderweireld, currently of Spurs. 
Nice. All right, well, let's uh, let's start from well, my own list. I've got uh, Terry and Carvalho. I've got Vidic and Rio. Uh, I've got Colo and uh, and Campbell. And then I've gone with two slightly different ones. I've got Morgan and Huth. A little bit left field on that one. And I'm going with Lescott <laughs> and company as well. You've gone Jeremy Corbyn left with uh, Huth and Morgan. <laughs> I have a little bit, but we'll come back to that later. Well, let, let's start with uh, let's start with Bruce and Pally then, because he's featured in quite a few, of the, or they've featured in quite a few of the lists, and uh, and it could be a contentious one. This I think we all agree with you, Peter, that they were the bedrock of that United side that made them who they are today, or well, actually made them who they were about five years ago. Yeah, well, of course, because you like remember even Bruce's header for. Um, you know, against Sheffield Wednesday, I think it was, 92, 93. And, you know, that was the original Fergie time. That was kind of the catalyst that, that you know, made United go on and win their first league title. And, uh, yeah, like, I'm fully aware, like, my only, like, it's more of a, are they my favourite in my favourite top five? Or, like, are, were they actually the best? Um, I, I will, you know, it, it's not set in stone. I, I, I would fully accept that they probably weren't the best centre-back partnership although and it, you know as I said um, I think me and you have laughed about Gary Pallister's diet and stuff on numerous occasions Sam um, but you can only play what you're up against and what they were up against at the time they were extremely good at defending um, you know against the centre-forwards of the day whether they'd I think we all know they wouldn't be either technically or physically good enough to play in the modern day but um, <laughs> still yeah like they had they had such a such a mass a massive impact on Manchester United and and probably you know Fergie's Fergie's first really really good solid centre back pairing you know and it's, you know you the, the beauty about this kind of talking about centre back pairings is like there's never a team wins the league well very rarely without a, a really really solid centre you know central defence so uh, yeah like the they're all pretty much going to, apart from the Liverpool players, obviously, they're all going to have, you know, a lot of Premier League medals. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, MPs, nice one. <laughs> but it's a funny thing about them, isn't it? Because you look down through all of the other players that we've looked at and they're all, you know, they're all athletes. They're, they're of, a, of the modern era, I suppose. And they, they kind of straddle that old time when players could go out for pints and pies and all the rest of it and still manage to turn up on a Saturday and play. They... they they just bridged that gap, but still thrived in the modern era in a certain way. And yeah, absolutely. And um, I always get a bit frustrated with the argument when they say, oh, "Would they make it in the game now?" Because I don't actually think it's it's that fair either. Because you can only play in the area you played in, can't you? You know. So yeah, it, it, it's quite, I, I totally agree. You probably get ripped to shreds now. The game is so much faster, as you say. The diets are so much better. The nutritionists everywhere. Uh, they probably just get like laughed out the club with the, the beer bellies that they had back in the day. But um, but yeah, I, I actually do think that they were they were solid defenders as, um, and as Pete says, you you can't win a title without a really solid pair at the back. Um, you know, a defense is only as good as some of all its parts, and uh, I, I don't think you can you can overstate just how difficult that first title win is after such a long spell without one. Uh, I mean, all jokes aside, I think Liverpool in thirteen fourteen that's what cost them the league. Uh, they just couldn't get over the line. They didn't have the mentality. Uh, it's such a mental mental barrier to get over, and I think with um, with Pallister and uh, Bruce at the back there, you know they, they deserve a lot of credit for for sort of gluing together the side and getting them over. That was it, twenty six years, was it, without the title that you went through? Yeah, yeah. But it was yeah, twenty six years. So was captain as well, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Bruce was the captain. He was a proper leader, wasn't he? He was a proper like led by example, centered half. So I think they have to be in there personally. I don't want to never capped by England either. Yeah, strange one. Did he get a couple of B caps? It was in, back in the day when they were still a thing. Did he, did he play for the B team? I I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I don't follow the England B set up. <laughs> oh, I thought you did, Pete. All oh, right, okay. Uh, you know, he, he left you wide open there for a Republic of Ireland 1990s joke. But anyway, it's fine. Uh, we'll, uh, the, the other thing about Bruce as well, though, is that he scored goals too. Like I said, like the most iconic of, of all would would have been that Sheff- the two Sheffield Wednesday ones in injury time, but he, he was a real um, he was a real threat from uh, fr- from set pieces. Um, and Pallister, like, because you know when you're a kid and you like you read like shoots and matches magazines and everything yeah. you get a hands on, like from back to front. I remember actually reading that Pallister 
because he was so tall, had such a long stride, he was actually faster than Ryan Giggs. Um, no way. Yeah, even though, he, you know, he survived. On Over like three yards. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce's header, if you, like, if you watch it, the, one of the headers against uh, Sheffield Wednesday, when he's running away from the goal and he heads it from like beyond the penalty spot, so whatever, it's about 14 yards out and he bullets it into the top the top corner on the far side of the goal. It's an absolutely superb header. Like so, um, yeah, like with, with, like Anthony said, that that was such a, a such a defining moment in Manchester United's recent history. So um, yeah, they, they they definitely deserve to be, to be in the discussion, and it's even it's actually enjoyable even to talk about them. You know that? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, it, was it Pallister? Now I may end up cutting this out if I've got this completely wrong. But wasn't there the season where everyone in the side had scored a goal? except for Pallister on the last day of the season. So they gave it to him for, for from a, a free kick on the last game, and he scored it. I, I believe that's true, yeah. That oh, is I don't true. Know, yeah. I remember yeah. it. He bulleted it in. I remember it. Delighted. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I remember yeah. that. Perfect. Uh, right, so, well, we're definitely considering them anyway. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, Steve, you had Adams and Keown, and a couple of the other lads had Adams and Bold as well. But why do you think that that partnership should be in ahead of the other? Well, Adams and Keown, I think, are like the last of the kind of old school pairings at the top level. So, I mean, you know, Adams, I think, retired in 2002. Keown was playing at Arsenal in 2004, I think. And you kind of, after that, you don't get two pairings like that anymore. You know, like they're proper old school defenders. And I think as well, over the course of their time at Arsenal, they kind of demonstrated an adaptability. So, you know, obviously they spent several years playing under George Graham, and then they have to adapt to a completely new manager in Arsene Wenger. Totally different, but it almost seemed like a seamless transition. They just kind of were able to slot into the system, no bother, just doing what they usually do, but as well kind of like adapting to that new system. So you have that they've played in two different great Arsenal teams, both playing two totally different styles of football and were incredibly uh, successful at it. Now, if you compare them to uh, Campbell and Torre, I have some stats on it and, and they're slightly less impressive statistically, but it's only by like literally, you know, like half a goal per game you know, over the course of the season. But they played 13,776 minutes together for Arsenal. And they conceded 106 goals. So that is just over 26. Like if they played every minute of a Premier League season, that is 26.3 goals over 38 games. It's not bad. And if you did that, if you did that every season, that. you're you're yeah. you're pretty much going to be yeah. in the running for a title. Absolutely. And just that, if that 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 longevity puts them ahead of Campbell and Torre for me, because 13 that's nearly 14,000 minutes together on the pitch, which is just crazy. And they were. Pretty consistent over that entire time, I thought. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I, I'd, I'd argue with you about that now, and you're right in everything that you're saying about the adaptability and all, because they both kind of obviously went from, from Graham, where it was like ultra defensive into the cutter, yeah. kind of Arsene Wenger, where they would have been expected to play a bit. But I don't think Keown was ever really first choice throughout his Arsenal career. For me, it was bold. And then even in the Invincible season, like I remember when I uh, you remember he gave Ozil a lot of stick and and Ozil's um, agent came back with a story that supposedly Keown like basically had to threaten Wenger to make him let him play the last game so he'd racked up whether it was eight appearances to get a medal. Um, I I, I think because I've seen Keown on the telly when they talk as well about the great Arsenal back four and this might be going back a little bit longer. Um, even into the first division, but he was basically the fifth man in that. I, I, for me, it, bold, bold, and and Adams were number one, and Keown came in if somebody was injured. So I, I, I kind of push, push, bold a bit, but I think yeah, both, yeah, both of you have Keown there. So well, and you had Keown. So why do you think he should get in ahead of Bold? Yeah, I, I always, um, I was quite. For highly of Keon from everything I've I've, um, I've read about him since his retirement as well. Like a lot of the autobiographies I've read, a lot of people speak um, very fondly of him. He was a good leader. He was a very intelligent guy in the dressing room, very composed. Uh, I actually liked him from a technical point of view as well, but, you know, um, on, on the pitch. Um, I think him and Adams both read the game fantastically well. 
And I actually think centre half is the most difficult position to play on the pitch. Um, you know, you've, you've, you've literally got to be so switched on and, and read the game. And every time I watched Keogh, he, he always seemed so composed. Um, I must admit, I didn't see a great deal of Bold. I think he was slightly before my time, um, so I, I'm not sure how sort of from a position I can I can debate with Pete on that. But I always just uh, I thought Adams and Keogh were proper solid stalwarts and. You know, as um, Steve was saying, then you know you, you've got that really solid bedrock to build on, and I actually think um, Wenger benefited as well early on. You know, you were talking before about Bruce and Pallister being like you know that that crucial component to getting United over the line. I think um, Wenger benefited massively from having such experienced defenders in his ranks uh, to get and a new first league title. You know, he, and he's he's never been able to replace them. Realistically, if you look at the defenders he's had, he's had Saul Campbell and Colo Torre, but realistically, he's never been able to have defenders like he's never been able to recruit defenders of that quality. They, really, they never replicated. Yeah, they never replicated that. You know, sort of watertight. You know, solid yeah. sort of stability at the back. Did they really? Yeah, I, I yeah. actually just kind of looked it up, lads, and in ninety seven, ninety eight, when key when uh, Arsenal won the league. Um, which was the you know the the last time or the first time under Wenger, Bold played twenty four games uh, with with Adams. Um, I can't see how many Keown played now, um, but I, I think with this as well, it's it, like obviously Wenger never really replaced replaced um, you know that kind of that kind of defense that he inherited. But I think it, a lot of it has also got to do with the actual defense, like because. Uh, you, you can't discount how important uh, Lee Dixon and Nigel Winterburn were. Like, oh, oh yeah, old, definitely. Old, old yeah. school mm-hmm. fullbacks were like their number one job was defending. If they got forward, good, but like you know, the complete opposite of the modern day centre back. And then David Seaman, who was just absolutely immense at the back. Like, um, it's so but, weird, isn't it? You know, I, when you think of Arsenal's problems now, to think of how good they were back then. You know, you mentioned all those players, like you know Lee Dixon and uh, Winterburn, were fantastic fullbacks. Wenger absolutely fell on his feet, really, because he just had to concentrate in the midfield and the forwards. Because yeah, he did. His, yeah. First year, yeah. his first few years coming in, like that, that like you just didn't get any better than that. I look, listen, I'm not, I won't get into it, into it, you know, too much on it. For me, the most important thing in is to have Tony Adams in there because I think he was just absolutely yeah. immense. So yeah, I, I'll I'm not not overly bothered about whether we put Bold or or, or Keon in, but I'd really want Tony Adams to be in here anyway. Like, well, yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think that's totally fair. Adams is always going to be in there, and of course, it's Adams really who kept Bruce from ever getting an Eng- England cap as well. You'd probably have to say. Um, there's another defender on our list as well who's in two defensive partnerships and that is John Terry so we've got him in with Carvalho and we've got him in with uh, William Gallas as well so let's start uh, Steve let's talk about Gallas and why that partnership was more important than the Carvalho one well I I think this is this is very much a forgotten partnership uh, in terms of I'm sure Chelsea fans won't have forgotten it but just you know if if you look around you see a lot of these lists of best center back pairings on various websites and it's always John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho and Ricardo Carvalho definitely one of the the best defenders of his generation definitely in the noughties, he you know he could make an argument for being in the top like three best defenders of that decade but um the fact is that William Gallas and John Terry played together more than uh, Terry and Carvalho did and they conceded, on average, less goals per game as well. So they played 10,000 minutes together, and uh, Carvalho and Terry played 8,000 minutes together, and uh, Galas and Terry uh, together only conceded eight more goals, or sorry, seven more goals in that time. So just even purely on a statistical level, uh, Galas and Terry, that's why they take it for me. Um, I mean, I'm loath to put John Terry... On a list of best anything, <laughs> but uh, if 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 he's going to be on this uh, list, I think it's it's these two, and I I think um, as well, you know, like Gallas was brilliant at Arsenal and Ch- and Chelsea, and um, I I think they were just really good together. Not so. Um, do you know? I know that's the they conceded less goals and they played more games together. But what about trophies and and medals? Do you know how those stats stack up against each other? Because Terry and Carvalho, they were the sort of that classic partnership, weren't they, Peter, where you got one hard-hitting, hard-tackling, hard-heading defender 
and then a ball player. Yeah, well, I, I basically, so I think, what was it? It was either 2002, 2003, or 2003, 2004, when Jose won there, went there one or two years in a row. Um, and I, well, for me, I always remember, I, I actually saw, I, I saw myself that Galas and Terry, I saw the stats of, of them, uh, you know, conceding less goals. But for me, just, you know, my memory would always been of Carvalho and Terry. Terry was kind of young there. And as much as, you know, nobody likes him, I personally think he's the best centre-back I've ever seen in the Premier League. And that's, you know, he has to be really good for me to say that because I really don't like him. Um, and then Car- Carvalho Carvalho for me was just was I'd say he was so important to Terry's development because Terry was quite young when he went there as well Carvalho was such a crafty little character you know he could get you he could block one of your shots off the line he could get you sent off he could score a goal he was just a really a, a bit of a bastard but you know the kind of bastard you wanted in your team a really intelligent yeah footballer. exactly not, not not particularly like physically imposing or even pacey, but you know, just first the real kind of the player where you'd say, "Oh, the first yard is in his head," kind kind of guy. And he he was voted as the best defender in Europe in two thousand and four, actually. Um, yeah, for, for me, Galas, I think Galas played left and right back w- within that Chelsea team quite often. He was used as kind of a utility player, um, and that was one of the reasons I think he pushed for the move to Arsenal as well because he wanted to play in the centre more often. So. I, anyway, and I think and th- this might be some way we might get to a, a resolution on this one. I think when it comes to Chelsea picking their number one team through that era, it's always Terry and Carvalho that they that Carvalho that yeah. they pick. Um, I don't know yeah. if anybody remembers the the kind of uh, the Champions League epic Champions League battles um, with Liverpool. I, I I'd be pretty sure it was probably Carvalho and Terry and, and Gallas was either a, a right or left back but yeah I don't know how good your memory is of that game Anthony like, <laughs> I don't really remember it piece I don't, uh, I don't didn't watch it I don't think but, um... yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, didn't miss, you didn't miss much you know <laughs> but that's the thing isn't it? I actually had jotted down that Champions League especially that first Champions League um, semi-final game between Liverpool and Chelsea uh, in 04-05 and I think in, you know, 180 minutes of football, there was about one shot on goal in the entire game because there was, there was just a ludicrous defence, you know, from both sides. But Terry and Carvalho were just unbelievable. I mean, you know, you mentioned 2004, 21 European Cup with Porto, wasn't it, with um, with Mourinho? And then he came across with him to Chelsea. Mm. Um, I, I just think he was an absolute gem of a defender. He, he was almost... You'd almost notice him at times. He was that good, and I always find that's a mark of a good player as well. When they just sort of go under the radar, they get the work done, they, they read the game well, they hold the position well, they make a tackle when they have to. As you say, they'll take a card when they have to. He can be a bit of a bastard when he needs to be. Um, yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. That Champions League um, team that Chelsea had in 0405, that was such a mean back four. And actually, I think surprisingly, as um, I think Carvalho was only six foot. And John Teddy was only about six one, six two, um, so not, not like the tallest either. But I, I remember them both being really good in the air as well. John Teddy was a was just yeah yeah. It, it was it sounds like a silly thing to say, but he was a fantastic jumper. Like he used to just jump. Yeah, no, like, yeah. You remember Ayala brilliant... Valencia? Like he was small, but he was lethal in the air because he knew how to time yeah, his jump. Yeah. He knew how to time his jump. Yeah, that was it. That was one of the first things I ever noticed about John Teddy. And. Um, yeah, Carvalho, again, I think it just must come down with reading the game so well, but he, he very rarely got caught out because of his height. And I think, you know, that, yeah, as you say, I think if you ask most Chelsea fans, they'll uh, they'll probably tell you that that, that was their greatest ever centre-back part. I, I, the, yeah, I, I think it's quite, it's funny though, because like, I just actually, I, I wanted to see, um, I opened uh, Galas's Wikipedia page and just the first thing that caught my eye, we're like, you know, we're all saying John Terry's a bit of a bit of a prick, but like, and just like, has there ever been a player who did this in his career? He, Chelsea from 2001 to 2006, right? Do, do you remember he famously said he would score an own goal if he didn't get his move <laughs> yeah, to Arsenal? Yeah, that's right. Then he yeah. went to Arsenal yeah. 2006 to 2010. <laughs> and then he went to Spurs from 2010 to 2013. Like, who does that? It's like everywhere he goes, he falls out and he goes, who can I go... Who, what club can I move to now to piss you off the most? Like, you know, <laughs> Jesus Christ. He was, he was very unlikable, Galas, wasn't he? I remember him being a proper prick back in the day, like, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
He uh, sat in the center circle. Remember after Arsenal against Birmingham? Yeah, against Birmingham. Yeah, against Birmingham yeah. yeah, and and he was the go- he was the one who scored the goal against Ireland in the famous uh, Henri. He's oh, always yeah. forgotten in that. Yeah, he here. was He's the recipient of the assist for the Henri handball. Yeah, sorry, Steve. That's it. You're, you you've you've fucked yourself. There. He's gone. That's it. Yeah, haven't I? <laughs> the only the, the only thing I would say in um, I suppose um, in terms of uh, Gallas in getting in this. Uh, lineup is that you know he played at Chelsea before the Abramovich money before Mourinho so before they were the star-studded team he was obviously there like he he crossed over into it like you said uh, Peter from 2001-2006 so to have that record where he actually you know he conceded very few goals along with Terry in that team uh, to have that record is extremely impressive in in my mind just uh, you know before uh, kind of Mourinho turned them into this defensive kind of uh, rock. Yeah, yeah, and that he survived the cut as well when you know they brought yeah, in so many players and made all those changes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, I'm going to hit you with my curveball then. Uh, Wes Morgan and Robert Huth. I don't know if I'm going to get any support on this one. To be perfectly <laughs> yeah. honest with you, but, uh, I'm going with it anyway, and I'm 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 running with it because look, all the other players that with the big clubs, they're you know the the chances of them winning things are quite high and these guys I mean they're bought for nothing uh, Morgan less than a million pounds from Forrest uh, came up with the club into the Premier League Huth three million from Stoke and they were bedrocks absolutely vital to Leicester going on and winning the title in such extraordinary circumstances with Wes Morgan scoring late goals as they went in on the run in and, and Huth you know both players really were sort of journeyman players who you know you could kind of you know, when you see these players go to clubs like Leicester and West Brom and stuff like this, you kind of think, oh, they're winding down, you know, they're just taking a paycheck for another couple of years and then they'll they'll shuffle off, you know, basically like every every other Manchester United centre-back who moved to Sunderland. <laughs> but then they went there and they actually did something and they created an amazing defensive partnership that blocked every header, that every cross that came their way and actually scored some goals at the other end and went on and won a league title. It was, it was a short-lived partnership. But it got a European run and a Premier League title, which is pretty impressive. I, am I going to get any support on this from anyone? <laughs> like it's, well, a, it's a good pitch, I'll give you that. But I'm still not it's a good pitch. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, no, but like you know, to be fair, no, they obviously they like the biggest shock ever in Premier League history, and they were crucial to it. And you know, they are kind of they're a bit Bruce and Pallister esque in the way you'd you'd look at them. Probably not individually the best the best footballers, but I I, I think. Yeah, I, I think there's other, there, there, there's better partnerships and, and partnerships that achieved even more, maybe. Yeah. Although, yeah, no, it's a good shout and it's good to have it in there to even discuss it because obviously that was such mm. a massive story, you know. Rob, Robert Huth was, like, his signing was absolutely crucial to that season. And, uh, well, I mean, he came in the season before the title winning season, wasn't it? He came in and basically. The big change that Claudio Ranieri made was he went he changed the formation from three five two to uh, back four. So you had Huth and Morgan together, and that gave them uh, basically you know good defensive solidity, and it allowed Mares to get further up the pitch. So he had a huge impact on on uh, the team that season in terms of going for the league. And I think um, it's mad. It's like they they were just able to play a you know, above themselves for the entirety of that season, above their talent level. Um, but, I mean, there's just no way that they're better than <laughs> the other defenders. It's just like, like, they had an amazing season, but there's just, I just, you know, I see some of the other, I'm just looking at the names on this list, and I'm just like, oh God, these, like, Robert Hoots, fair enough, he played at Chelsea, and he, you know, he had a, a really good career uh, when you look back at it, but uh, Wes Morgan is... You know, Wes Morgan. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance? No, no, no. Damn, it's over, mate, okay? That's all right, mate. All right, fair, enough. fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, right then, should we have a, have a quick quiz before we go on? Why not? All right. All right then, boys, it's a, a sort of a general knowledge defenders quiz today. Uh, so we'll kick off with question one. I give the question, you say your name, come in with the answer. If you're wrong, I'm afraid you're going to be out and we'll give it to the other two unless they both get it wrong as well. So question number one, which defender was the first player to win a Premier League title with two different clubs? Uh, Stephen. Stephen. 
Paulo Torre? No. Pe- <laughs> Peter? <laughs> That's your name, yeah. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you, Pete. David May? No. Oh, did he not win more Blackburn and then... Oh. That's who I was thinking of, Pete. I was, I couldn't get his name. That's who I was thinking yeah, of. I've got to keep my mouth shut now because I think I know the answer. That's a good idea, Peter. And down to you now. I was going to say David May. Um, um, oh, bloody hell, mate. Um... Gonna have to push you for an answer. Oh, pass. I don't know. Wait, pass. Give pass, it. Go on. Pass. Can I, Sam? Go on. Yeah. Henningberg. It was Henningberg with Blackburn in So close. Uh, right then. Question two. How much did Man City pay for Vincent Company when he signed from Hamburg in two thousand and eight? Peter. Peter. Sixteen point five million. No. And. And. Ten million. No. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to say 12 million. No. Should I give it to the closest? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. That's Ant. It was £6 million. Pounds. Six? Yeah. What a that steal. What a steal. Good, yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, right, we'll, carry it. we'll pick that up a bit later on in the show. Let's get back to my list, which I've actually just thrown across the desk. There we go. Got it back again. Uh, so let's talk about... Well, let's go with Colo uh, and Campbell then. Uh, we mentioned them a little bit earlier, and I'm inclined to agree with you, Peter, actually, because they were a part of that Invincibles. You'd have to put them in the list, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, I I, I don't think, you know, they kind of would stand out um, individually as, as being, you know, good enough to get to get onto into our hallowed list. But, um, yeah, you just can't argue with the Invincibles thing. Like, I, I think, you know, I kind of look back, I have this idea in my head as, as Colo Torre, as... as um, kind of a, a bit of a calamitous defender um, as he became later on in his career. Um, kind of someone who, you know, if you were a supporter of a team he was playing for, would just have your, your nerves absolutely shot all the time. Um, but he was extreme, like, he was very, like, he was obviously athletically gifted and he, he did play very well during that season and for a couple of seasons with Arsenal, for sure. And Saul Campbell, I think I kind of look back at him not well. Look at him not great because he, he's one of them ex players who just comes out with ridiculous things in the press every few months. Like <laughs> he was saying recently, like he has the greatest football mind in the world or some shit. Like <laughs> he just comes across as a bit of a tool. Um, he's but, like football's Mike Tyson, isn't he? Yeah, but like he was an unbelievable player, Saul Campbell. Like he was, he I think he was the defensive rock in a way that that team was was built on, you know, so physically imposing. He was actually a really good footballer as well. I remember when he came through at Spurs, he played centre midfield. Um, really, really, uh, you know, technically uh, tidy footballer as well. Well able to pa- to step out into midfield with the ball and, and pass it. Not just sideways, but, you know, rattle it into the forwards every now and again. And Yeah, I'd, I'd say Campbell probably carried, carried Torre a bit. But, yeah, look, I, you just can't get by the fact that they were... They, the invincible back four um it just yeah that it's just pretty simple with them and uh yeah Matt Campbell as well you know I, I was thinking of other ideas for for podcasts you know in the future today and like most controversial transfers I was thinking and you know Sol Campbell's move from from Spurs to Arsenal has to be right up there and you know oh, I think yeah. he was he was kind of kind of justified in the end by going on and and um and yeah probably the most famous Premier League win ever over the course of a season anyway, not just on the last last game like City maybe. But um, yeah, so I'm just going just kind of going around circles but repeating the same thing. They were, <laughs> they were the Invincibles, back, uh, you know, centre-back pair and they have to be in for me. Well, I had them on my list as well, but I know the other two didn't. Uh, is, is it just because of Colo's sort of erraticness or Sol's toolishness that you haven't included them in your list? <laughs> It's hard to say, really. It, 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 it's a partner, as you say, it's a partnership that doesn't really jump out at you, is it? But um, and I suppose it'd be very easy to dismiss them because that that Invincibles team was so good going forward. You don't really associate it with being so good at the back, but they won the title without losing a bloody game. So mm-hmm. suppose they have they have to be up there, don't they? You know, in, in consideration. Uh, I actually think Saul Campbell was top class on his day. He was absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely brilliant defender, great in the air, powerful. Like he, he, you're gonna draw the centre half, you know. So Campbell is that, and he, but um, I don't know. Colo was Colo was alright. Uh, obviously associated with his, his later career and and probably making loads of mistakes because he just was, was you know slower than um, just ridiculously slow at Liverpool, horribly ponderously slow. But I suppose in his day he was you know the solid enough defender. But I think definitely carried too much by Campbell. Um, I think as a as a partner, um, a pair, and he would he wouldn't get in there for me. He's only Sol Campbell who would he mm. drags him up, you know. In my opinion, well, I re- I recall uh, you know seeing Torre Colo Torre, you know, bu- you know knocking the ball into his own net as Sam Allardyce began, you know, a decade and a half of terrorizing Arsene Wenger, <laughs> and. Just kind of going, oh my god! Like, and that, and and those kind of moments are what stick in my mind when it comes to Colo Torre. But you got to remember, this guy has won two league titles. He was part of a solid defence, and yes, he was very slow and ponderous at uh, Liverpool. But had he won the title at Liverpool, he would have become the first Premier. He would have become the first player to win a Premier League title with three different clubs. So he. Obviously, yeah. had something to him, but you know Maybe what? He... You know what, though, Steve? If we'd have won a title that year, we'd have been the worst ever defensive record to win the league, I think, or, or the second worst defensive record yeah. to have won the title. So. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know what's kind of interesting about it as well? Uh, Sol Campbell, the invincible centre back pair. Sol Campbell came for a free transfer, and Torre was signed for 150 grand. Bloody so, hell. The invincible, so the, the team that never won a game throughout the Premier League team and won the league had a centre back pair and the pure old school Arsene Wenger cost 150 grand. <laughs> <No bad. laughs> uh, well, let's talk about those uh, Liverpool defences then because we've got two on our sort of long list here. We've got uh, Hippia and Honcho from you, and Stephen had uh, Carragher and Agger. Give us your pitch then for Hippia and Honcho. Well, I just think um, it, it's very easy to forget how bad Liverpool's defence was in the uh, in the late nineties. You know, it had gone through three or four years of decline, um, neglected by Souness and, and Evans, and what Hulia inherited was just a mess of like the likes of Phil Bab and Bjornaby, Cavani, um, you know, John Scales. It was just an absolute mess. Uh, the goalkeeper was dodgy as anything. Um, you know, probably in terms of a, a back four unit, we were probably mid table at best. Um, and I just I remember like uh, almost overnight with Ipia and Oncho installed me. I'd, I'd never heard of Ipia, and we we got Oncho from Blackburn Rovers. So you know, wasn't massively high hopes. And we'd signed similar sorts of nationalities and obscure defenders for almost ten years, and not had any joy with them. And um, almost overnight, you know, we I think we finished fourth, third, and second. Um, with Hippier and Honcho um, as our defensive partner, and so to go from like seventh, eighth in the table to to massively. You know, almost overachieving with with the quality of the players that we had. Um, you know, I think that was a massive achievement. They were both absolutely solid. I mean, I think Sammy Ipia uh, is one of Liverpool's all-time Premier League best signings. Uh, two million quid from the Dutch league. Uh, absolutely fantastic in the air. Good on the ball. Uh, read the game so well. Um, Stefan on show was probably knowing probably not on the same level as Ipia. And he, I always remember him. He, he looked like he was going to have an asthma attack every time the, the, the camera closed in on him as well. You know, always <laughs> looked dead red and about to keel over. But uh, he, he was he was a bit of a gnarly defender. He, he, he got in and, and and did some proper tough tackles and read you know some hard yards next to Hippia and uh, just just both of them were really sort of you know will to win. Um, I loved on shows and ball in the final as well against Arsenal in the FA Cup. I thought that was brilliant to get the, the audacity to get away with it in the first minute of the game. It was just fantastic. It just showed that he wanted to win so much. Uh, and as I say, to, to, to deliver Liverpool from such mediocrity to winning trophies again. Well, yeah, um, which so was fantastic. That was the partnership for the uh, the the cup treble, wasn't it? It was the cup treble, it was, yeah. Um, and then the, the, again, the next year, um, we ran Arsenal very close. Everyone always forgets, so 102. Because um, we had a really good back four units. Uh, and then we, um, the, the right back, uh, Marcus Babel, got a really horrible illness at the start of the season in you know, 102. And a lot of people say that, you know, if, if we'd have kept that back four unit together, it may, may well have gone on to win the league in you know, 102. Uh, they were absolutely brilliant together. And uh, obviously, they, they reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League in 2002 as well. So they, they really were solid, you know. Yeah, yeah, and then of course when Onsho stepped out of the side, Carragher came in, 
and Stephen, you've gone for Carragher and Agger then together. Yeah, which you can handily just called Car Agger. <laughs> if you <laughs> want it to be good you know? work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. That, oh, there that, we go. That's all I. Car- that's all I have to say. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, Ant actually, um, he makes a point there that I, I hadn't really considered about um, about his pick for the Liverpool defence because, you know, I, I you forget how, you know, loose uh, Liverpool were at the, at the back and how they kind shit, of like brought Steve, stability. But shit. yeah, yeah, shit. <laughs> shit and loose, though, are kind of like you can, they're interchangeable words, if, you know. But, um, a bit like, like Jones and Smalling now, Steve, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah well. You might say that, but um, yeah, I just think they're a really great pairing. Like Carragher is like the vocal leader. Agger was like this, you know, this composed, wise player, you know, you know, he had a wise head on young shoulders and he was able to read the game really well. I thought they just, they went together, you know, um, really well. And, you know, I'm going to bring up the stats again, but, you know, they played 8,000 minutes together and they only conceded 58 goals which is an average of 24.3 goals over a season. That is the lowest average of any central uh, defense, defensive pairing in the entirety of the Premier League. No other uh, centre-back pairing has conceded less goals on average than these two. So, And I think you know, like they, they were part of some really successful teams uh, under Benitez and then... Uh, well, not not Hodgson, Hodgson but uh, <laughs> <laughs> my beloved Roy Hodgson. <laughs> but um, he was he was he was clearly sent in as a secret agent to sabotage Liverpool. Uh, but um, yeah, but they, you know, I think they, were, you know, Liverpool were really close to, you know, uh, some league titles with the uh, well, obviously not Carragher the under um, uh, Brendan Rodgers, uh, but Agger was there for. A lot of those years, and I think you know, Ant will probably um, you know agree with me here. Is that like a lot of Liverpool fans feel like Agger's career was kind of unfulfilled? You know, he came with a lot of promise, and he showed a lot of promise as well, and uh, you know, a lot of leadership skills and, and a great reading of the game. But just injuries kind of interrupted him, so that might um, kind of hamper you know this uh, partners partnerships chances here, but. Um, I still think they were pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, think, I think those stats certainly speak for themselves. But so, I, mean, I, I think and your. Pitch... I should say the the margins with all of these again with the stats is very close. You're talking like you know the difference between Carragher and Agger's stats and you know the stats of like say William Gallas and John Terry is not even half a goal. So okay. you're ta- very very fine margins. So. But, well, I mean, it's still impressive all the same. I get it, Noel, and, and, and it is very important to, to bring up the, the statistical side of things. But I, like, I, I personally don't remember Liverpool really challenging for much under with, with that specific you partnership. Know, set, partnership. They didn't, they didn't play together that often, from what I remember. Yeah, I, like, I just wonder sometimes how, how accurate are them, are, are yeah. them, the, them stats like were they really big games they played in or were like they, they decided yeah, that's, that, that's the thing, it's just kind of hard to yeah sorry that gets lost in the numbers as well because like I said it's, it's 8,000 minutes when you think about it they you know Agar uh, was there for what was it nine years eight nine years he was there uh, a while like, yeah he was yeah, but long, like, yeah so all of those minutes are kind of spread over a long period of time and Really, over that time, you'd be kind of thinking they should have had closer to ten or eleven thousand minutes if they were going to be like the the um, centre back pairing for that entire time there. So really, they should have played with each other a lot more. And perhaps the fact that they, you know, didn't play as many minutes as they should have also kind of contributed to the fact that they. Uh, yeah, I, I think what you, what you got there, Steve, as well as um, I think in an ideal world, it was probably the centre half pair that Benitez would have favoured. Um, to, to take over from, from Hippier when Hippier was sort of coming towards the end of his career and as, certainly early on in his career Aga looked an absolute gem of a player he, he had such a good mm-hmm. left foot and um, you know I, as you say I actually think he was quite a deceptive leader on the pitch as well he was he was quite a vocal presence on the pitch at times yeah. but I, I don't know I just don't think him and, him and Carragher played often enough together to, to who, be who was it in Istanbul 
Uh, and Truel saved through that season. What was the first hip, choice? It was hip, Well, that back four was um, uh, hip, Hippie and Encadiga were, were, were the main uh, pairing that year. Okay. And Finnan was Steve Finnan, another uh, another Republic legend, was uh, was a right back. And uh, I think it was it was it was actually believe it or not a cross between Jimmy Triori and John Arnarisa. Well, can't I, believe I, I think can't uh, believe that won the European Cup. <laughs> well, that's it. I think Hippie needs to get extra bonus points for having won the Champions League with. Jimmy Triori playing at left back. You get bonus yeah. points for that. I think it's the only way. Uh, I, I, for me, anyway, I'm going to give Hippie and Honcho the nod ahead of uh, Carragher and Agger, I think, in that one. I told you, it's Car Agger. Sorry, Car Agger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, let's, uh, let's crack on then. And uh, who have we got left? Well, we obviously got Rio and Vidic. I think we'll finish up with that one. Uh, one I didn't mention yet was Lescott and Company. Uh, for Man City, obviously, we, we mentioned earlier the company came in for next to nothing, really, when you look back on it. And while they may not be the most... Well, well basically, while Lescott may not be the most glamorous part yeah. of, the, of the partnership, <laughs> I just I just think you have to get company in here somewhere. And yeah. you know, to, win, to win the Premier League in the, well, uh, in the way that they did and, and what he's meant to that club and to the Premier League since he's come in, I, I basically, I'd need to stick someone next to him. So it, it turned out to be Lescott. Yeah, no, that's a good argument. I, I actually had them in, in my original picks, but I just thought it, like I was like I'd kind of discounted the first the first kind of thirteen or fourteen years of the Premier League, um, because just probably my mind wasn't thinking back that long. But uh, yeah, no, that's a decent shout. Although I don't think I, I don't think I'd quite have them in the top five. But like they were obviously, you know, we talked at the start about Man United getting that first win. City getting their first win and whatever 2000 was it 2011 2012 was just yeah was so massive for for the club and even attracting more players. Now they were paying out the types of salaries. I'm sure they would have still got big players in, but I I think it was just a massive such a you know the start the start of City kind of gradually become going on to probably become the dominant force in English football at the moment. You know if they don't win the league that year. You know, is Guardiola there now? Maybe, maybe not. But it was obviously such a massive thing in, in their, uh, in their a massive part of their history. And uh, company has to be in the debate when we talk about, you know, best uh, centre-backs, I think, in Premier League history. But maybe before the end of the show, we can come up with sort of like a fantasy centre-back pairing because there's plenty of people who've been left out or not quite made it in that had they had somebody better beside them, they would have been an amazing partnership or something like that. But... Another one that actually didn't get much love when we were coming up with our long lists, but now that we think about it, certainly deserves to be in the conversation. Stay is yours with Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Yeah, I've, I mean, I, I could be, you know, a bit premature in in picking these two because obviously they're still playing and they're still, you know, uh, relatively young. They got several years left in their careers together, but I think this is the kind of pairing that we'll be talking about in in years to come, about how they were just so solid, but also just such brilliant footballers, I think, as well. They suit uh, the Spurs setup so well. I know they have no honours to date with with Tottenham, but I mean, over the last few years, and especially under uh, Pochettino, Spurs have consistently overperformed defence. They've overperformed on both sides of the ball. But uh, defensively, they've been solid as a rock. And when you think of what they were like before then, um, in the years leading up to Pochettino and and having Vertonghen and Alderweireld, like, you know, I'm going to use that word loose again at the back. You know, the Spurs were incredibly poor at times at the back. And it was the one thing, it's like, yeah, the Spurs might be able to play like great one week and score three goals, but then they'll go and concede four, you know, and... and you know, the kind of team that has it, you know, lads, it's Tottenham, but they don't have that anymore. And that is, I think a lot of that has to do with Vertonghen and Alderweireld. And, you know, there were times, I know they've they've gotten um, Sanchez in and, you know, the the team is kind of in, in general, sol- more solid in general. Uh, but there was a time for a couple of years where if one of them was out, you know, it was, you know, they were in serious trouble. And you also have to consider that, at this moment in time, these last few years, these lads are playing against the best strikers the Premier League has ever seen. You know, like the Premier League has never had such strength and depth in terms of of strikers. And you've got like Sergio Aguero, Eden Hazard, uh, you know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Lacazette. Uh, you know, I'm missing loads here, but like, the, you know, I could go on and on. But like the just the strength 
of the strike forces in the Premier League is just unreal. And these lads are just so watertight at times. And I just think that they deserve, they definitely deserve to be in the conversation. It's a great point that actually, Steve. Yeah, it's a good point that because it's probably never been, in terms of the Premier League at the moment, there's probably never been a harder time to defend as a unit. So, you know, that is a really good solid point at the end, actually. Yeah, Yeah, no, we did, we picked an all-time Premier League uh, 11 last season and I actually, I got quite a bit of stick for putting all the world in as one of my centre-backs. So, um, yeah, no, I'd agree in the discussion, but it, I reckon it'll be hard. It, it, really, there is a, there, there's a bit of a mentality here to football faithful that says, show us your medals. And uh, I think they might fall short in that <laughs> regard, you know? Well, I mean, I just think of like how, like, let's say, and we're talking about, you know, Carvalho and John Terry. I mean, if Abramovich had never come in, would John Terry have nearly as many medals to his name? You know, and I think, you know, certainly the... The parity in terms of um, money in the Premier League means that, you know, someone like Alderweireld would have moved to Man United or Man City yeah. several years ago, and now he stayed at Spurs. Uh, I still think I think the fact that they're not in a team like, uh, you know, one of the you know big teams like Chelsea or United um, is actually even more impressive that they concede less goals. Yeah, well, like last season, I remember looking at them for a long time. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm an absolutely massive fan. Um, the two of them are very much modern centre backs as well, and their ability on the ball as well. But like, I remember for a long time, I thought that kind of it was all Alderworld, and he was kind of carrying Vertonghen to it. Well, not carrying, but he was kind of, you know, it, it was if Alderworld was out, then they were in big trouble. But like last year, when Alderworld was out, I thought Vertonghen was. And a lot of Spurs fans as well said that Vertonghen was arguably their player of the season last season as well, you know. So, yeah, he's, yeah, he's in, definitely in their own on. right, they're, they're both two absolutely superb footballers. Yeah, and they played together for a while, haven't they? They were at Ajax before Spurs, weren't they, together? So, they, 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 I think they know each other's game really well as well, which is really important. Yeah, and, and of course, playing with each other for Belgium, which for, for some reason, Mark Vilmots for ages played them as far apart as possible by having them as... <laughs> Fullbacks, which is just, uh, I mean, bizarre. And here I am arguing that they're the best centre back, you know, one of the best centre back pairings in the entire history of the Premier League. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it, wor- it worked out really well for him, didn't it, with Belgium? But uh, anyway, uh, yeah. final one then. We've got Rio and Vidic, Rio Ferdinand and Nemanja Vidic. Peter, I'll let you start with this one. Yeah, like if, for me, Obviously, five Premier League titles, Champions League, and two or two lost finals in the Champions League as well. But you know, this is this is where you know United. Everybody talks about um, you know the swashbuckling football, and I always I've often say is you know even when we had Ronaldo on the team at one stage, we won thirteen games in a single season, one nil. So that shows you that like you know the main even with Cristiano Ronaldo on the team. We were scoring, and then we were seeing out. Um, we were seeing out leads, and so comfortable seeing out leads. Um, Van der Sar obviously had a big part to play as well. He was really communicated really well. But like for me, growing up, even I know it's kind of changed. Um, you know how teams attack and how teams uh, defend these days. But for me, like my ideal centre back partnership is a guy who's brave, a kind of marker, if you want. Um, He'll put his head in anywhere. He'll get physical with, with, with the with the other team striker. And then the next, the other guy would be kind of, you know, more of a kind of sweeper, reader of the game, good on the ball. And I think, you know, Vidic was obviously number one there for, for sticking his head in, in the in the dodgiest of places. Um, loved defending, just loved to defend, which is quite rare these days. And then Rio was, Rio was a good uh good defender as well but he would have been you know kind of more more your ball playing center back so yeah like i like my central defensive partnerships to be a real defender and a bit of a ball player and i think they were kind of the perfect pair of it and the success they had and and i think also that they were both um by all accounts like consummate professionals uh rio ferdinand anybody that played with him said he was a freak he was just in the gym constantly um and you know, I, I remember reading uh, Paul Scholes' book and, and he was saying that uh, when Vidic came to United at first, actually, he was quite quite thin and he actually had to beef up quite a lot. So, you know, two players that, that, that worked and worked to become the best they could. And I think as a partnership, when you watch them play, 
Like it was a, they almost, you know, it, each one knew what the other one was doing all the time. They moved in perfect harmony. Just for me, the, the, the best of the lot. And I think it's pretty fair that they're going to be included. They're actually the only partnership that we all included in our lists. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say another solid picture on a night of solid pitches. That I think, um, but um, they, they were absolutely fantastic together. That was the one thing that um, it was so formidable about Man United in, in Fergie's second grade side in in, in the late noughties. And uh, that 08 09 campaign when when Liverpool ran them fairly close. They were, you you were just looking at the results every week, just hoping somebody would get a point off United somewhere, just to, just to sort of get them off track. And they, they, they were just so formidable at the back. Um, and you, you know, I think um, it was Everett left back and, and Raphael at right back. I, I can't remember who the other right back was that year, but uh, it was such a mean defence that 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 they had there. And um, I, I always remember Liverpool were, were quite strongly linked with Vidic uh, before he went to Manchester United, and. Uh, by all accounts, um, United United has gazumped Liverpool. They offered double his wages, double the transfer fee. And, he, he just uh, wanted I to think... go to a big club, that's all. Oh, here we go. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, I think um, he was one of, um, actually I think he's one of Ferguson's more underrated signings for the team. Because uh, Ferdinand was a big signing in the day, wasn't he? Got him from Leeds for like 20 odd million, which was a, a, a British club record for a defender at the time, but Vidic went under the radar, and you know, did he just? He was just an absolute meat, you know, meathead of a defender. You know, loved the tackle. You know, really good in the air. And, and the only time I ever saw him blink and, and sort of take his eye off the ball was with Torres. Torres was the only fellow who who had his uh, his number, but that was it in, in a very strong era of the Premier League as well. So, yeah, just absolutely brilliant. So, Ferd, um, Rio Ferdinand is very deceptively. Um, Gifted on the ball as well. One of my favourite memories of him on the pitches was gliding forward on the ball for England. He, he was excellent. Very underrated defender. Well, I don't know how yeah. underrated they are actually, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> yeah. on the ball, I meant sorry. On the ball, he was he was fairly underrated. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, the other thing about this partnership is when United fans kind of lament all the things that are wrong with their sides, and they have done it over the years. There's been talk of oh, they've never replaced Keane, they've never replaced Goals. What are we going to do now? Carrick's gone out of the side, but really, it's that back two that's never been replaced, and that's really where so many of today's problems are. Uh, yeah, no, I I completely agree because like I mean, it's not even that like they haven't got guys of the caliber of Vidic and Ferdinand who are obviously incredibly hard to replace it's just that they haven't even got halfway close to getting anybody of that but i also think uh we can't overlook the um influence of carlos Quiroz, especially in his second spell as assistant manager at man united because he really created a tactically you know a defensive shell for united that certainly village and ferdinand um you know uh were able to benefit from hugely but uh, they were, I mean, immensely talented players in their own right, even without that. I used to love, um, you know, sometimes individual battles as well, because Vidic was obviously, uh, you know, he, he loved a good, a good scrap with a centre forward. And I always remember the battles between Vidic and Drogba as just being unbelievable, you know, like the, the physicality of the two of them, two absolute beasts. Yeah, that, that, I, that, that's one of my best memories in the Mania as well. What a what a player! What a what a, what a yeah. yeah! What a partnership! For for me, they're number one by by country mile, lads, and that's not being biased. I think you, you just don't get any better. Like, well, let's he's got all missed the idea, doesn't he? he thinks yeah, it's Christmas again. He has a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 let's do that then, because uh, Vidic and Ferdinand are the only ones that we've all selected. So I think it's only fair that we put them at number one. Yeah, I'd yep. say that's a, it's a fair point, yeah. And then yeah. I've been making some notes of the ones that we've been talking about and, and, and discussing, and I've got I've got uh, five more to go into four places. So I've got Bruce and Pally, I've got Adams and Keown, I've got Terry and Carvalho, I've got Hippia and Onsho, and I've got Vertonghen and Alderweireld. So who's who falls out of that? It's hard, isn't it? It's a tough one, no? Yeah, um, I, like, I'm, I'm happy. I, th- I think you've done it already, though. But if, if the lads give me Terry and Carvalho, I'm happy to give them uh, Adams and Keown anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah. But, but who falls out, then? I mean, do we go with... We're talking about uh, Vertonghen and Alderweireld, who haven't won stuff, but are probably 
the technically technically the best pairing possibly on that list who are left. You got Bruce and Pally who are probably technically the worst on that list, but also <laughs> you know you try ringing up Gary Pallister and telling him he's not on that list. <laughs> well, like if we're talking about tiebreakers here, I mean <laughs> I don't know of any other defensive pairing to have won a Premier League that looked like my dad. So, I mean, <laughs> my dad's 52 now and they both looked like like they were in the peak of their careers. And th- back then they looked what he looks like now. So, <laughs> right, right, they're in. <laughs> yeah, put them in for that, yeah. Uh, right, so we'll put them at number five. Uh, so are we dropping Vertonghen and Alderweireld out then or are we going to put them ahead of like Hippia, Ancho, Terry Carvalho, Adams Kiln? What, who have we got? Yeah, I'd have Vertonghen, Alderweireld over um, Henshaw and um, thing, but um, otherwise I'm... I'm Happy enough to, because you know you've left out a lot of my choices other than Vertonghen and Alderweireld, so I'm happy enough to go with whatever the lads think. Well, a lot of your players have made it in, but just not in quite the pairings that you've. Got. No, so, <laughs> it's just worked out that way. But all right, well let's see. Does it, should we put it to a vote then? Adams or Keown? Well, hang on. What, what, what happened? What happened to Morgan and Hoof? What are we, what are we doing with them? <laughs> yeah, I, I've just accepted it. I'm, I'm afraid. What, what did happen to those guys? Yeah, yeah. Number one in my hearts, but you know. <laughs> Uh, right, or just the one heart. Anyway, uh, who? Let's let's just put it to a vote then. So Adams and Keown, are they all going to be in? Are we all happy with that? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's two. I've got them as well. Okay, so that's they're they're in anyway. Terry and Carvalho, do we want them in? Do they deserve it? Yeah, I think they have to be in there. Yeah, yeah. Steve, you're staying out of this. <sighs> yeah, go on. Put your John Terry in. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with there, Steve? Uh, and, then, <laughs> <laughs> and then it comes down to it: Hippie and Ancho or Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Who's? Uh, it's it's. It, I'll leave it to you three to decide. We'll go majority rules. So, just, so we're going to put it. We're going to we're going to put either of them in ahead of the invent, invincible parent. Is that right? Uh, I think we. Yeah, I think. The way we were chatting earlier, it seemed like Adams and Keown were going in there, and nobody was that impressed by Colo over the long period. It was just sort of that. that I don't think it was a genuine there. partnership, was it? That that's the, that's the, that's the issue you've got with Colo and, and Campbell. I don't think they were, they were a good enough partnership together. You know. Well, I, I, I I'm always I'll, I'll go for it. You know, just to mix it up a bit, pick a modern pair. Nothing got to do with the fact the other one's Liverpool. I, I'll pack Spurs on this one. Oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, Ant, I'm afraid. That's it. Two one. No, well, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the democracy rules the day. You know, I just obviously, uh, Hippie and Ancho have a, a special place in my heart. So, fair enough. So, what about what about the order then? We've got Rio and Vidic as, as number one. Bruce and Pally at five, and then putting the other ones in. Have we got uh, Saber Tongan and Alderweireld as they were last to get in? We'll put them at four. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair enough. And yeah, then, uh, and then it's uh, Adams and Keown and Terry and Carvalho. I would put probably Terry and Carvalho a second. Yeah, yeah, that's fair yeah, yeah. And Adams and Keown yeah, I think a that's third. Fair enough. All right, well there you go. That's your definitive football faithful top five Premier League defensive partnerships of all time. At number five, it's uh, Bruce and Pallister. At number four, it's. Uh, Vertonghen and Alderweireld at number three it's Tony Adams and Martin Keown at number two it's John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho and at number one Nemanja Vidic and Rio Ferdinand not bad folks not bad at all well done and uh, they'll be delighted I'm sure to know that they're in our top five list Uh, before we finish up um, before we finish up uh, we'll do a quiz and then I want to just if you can think very quickly just about one fantasy defensive partnership that never existed that you would like uh, and keep them of Premier League players, please. So, uh, But first, let's get back to our quiz. It's uh, one all. Uh, we've got question three then. Who was the first defender to win the PFA Players Player of the Year award Peter. in the Premier Peter. League era? P- Peter. Peter. Uh, Paul McGrath. It was Paul McGrath. Very good. I think that's 2-1 okay. now, is it, Peter? That's, that's pretty much it. I'll give you this one. Uh, no, I only got one. I, I answered the other one after the fact. So I'm one and Ant's one, I think. Okay, well, fair enough. I really hope one of you get this because I've only got one more question. Steve, if you could stay out of it, it would be really helpful for me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Who's the only defender to have won that award since then? Peter. Peter. John Terry. It was John Terry. Very good. Stole in at the end and won it. Good. Uh, Stephen, I'll go to you then for your fantasy Premier League defensive partnership. 
I'll go um I'll go Nemanja Vidic and Breda Hangeland. <laughs> <laughs> just just Breda two big burly bastards together, <laughs> yeah. That's fair enough. Uh Peter, what about you? Uh, actually my two answers to to the uh to the two last questions. I'd have Paul McGrath in there, you know, one PFA player of the year playing for Aston Villa in nineteen ninety four. Didn't train and had a massive drink problem at the time. Like, God only knows how good he would have been if he hadn't been able to train and he wasn't an alcoholic. And, yeah, and John Terry, as much as as unpopular as he is, to my, in my eyes, he, he's he's the best uh, He's the best centre-back the Premier League's ever seen. So, uh, yeah, they would be my dream team pair, John Terry and Paul McGrath. Good night out in a bit on the town with the two of them, I'd say, as well. So, <laughs> That's um... true. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, uh... And two of you got um, that's a tough one. Um, I'd probably go for someone like uh, Vidic and um, Vidic and Sammy Hippie. I just think like they're, they're just two of the two of the all-time sort of stalwart centre halves. You know, I don't think you'd, you'd miss a header in ten years between the two of them, and they're both just on the day. You just just you know wouldn't want to get a tackle off them. You'd be feeling it for about two weeks. So yeah, Vidic and Vidic and Hippie for me. Uh, and I think I'd go with Rio and uh, Vincent Company as my. Uh, fantasy defensive partnership. I just think Rio is such a great ball playing footballer, and Vincent Company, despite playing despite playing for City, I just think is such a class act and an unbelievable defender. Uh, I'd love to have seen them playing together. Anyway, I think that's it, folks. Thanks so much, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week in your feeds if you haven't subscribed already. If this is the first time you've heard us, uh, well, hit the subscribe button, and we'll pop up in your feed every single week. Uh, Steve, tell us a little bit about your podcast. I didn't have a plug ready. You've caught me off guard. Um, yeah, so the Nostalgia Ultras uh, podcast, it's uh, basically, we, it's a, we're still living off past glories is what we like to say. So we to kind of take a dive into our memory banks and talk about basically whatever takes our fancy about, uh, you know, kind of past memories of football. So our, la- our last episode there was about the uh, old Lansdowne Road that uh, Ireland played in for about three decades there and just talked about like our favorite Peter in fact was on that episode and uh you know we were talking about um you know five Mars bars for a pound and you know the old clubhouse in the ground and the and the stand literally shaking as the dart goes by <laughs> yeah oh god and the smell god the smell oh uh, my lord <laughs> <laughs> Peter uh thanks so much and we'll see you next time in Ants as well yeah, lads, lads, lads. Enjoyed that. thank you enjoy that yeah, it's cracking all right and thanks for me see you next time bye